Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today we're going to be talking about John Stewart's new show on Apple TV Plus. And then Ben, you're going to fill us in on some good TV and some bad TV. Is this the lowest? Is this the lowest grade you've given in 2020? In 2020? Yes, I think so. Yep. I guess I Ben's check. lowest rated show of 2020. We're going to chat about that. Uh, and then we're just going to generally chat about some scary shows for the upcoming Halloween weekend. Spoopy. This is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Jon Stewart is coming back to TV. He'll be he'll be doing a current affairs hour-long show on Apple TV Plus. Uh, he'll be working with Richard Plepler, who is who he inked the deal with in HBO for his animated show, which never got off the ground. Uh, four years ago, I believe. It was a while ago. What do we know? Are we excited? First of all, the idea that they seem to insist on calling it uh, as Leo said, a current affairs series rather than a late night news show um, seems to point or a current in... events series. Right. It's it's a very strange uh, <laughs> moniker for whatever this program is going to turn out to be, but it is also seems very consciously pointed away from saying, well, he's doing what he'd done before. Like, we're already going to start the narrative of he's not doing The Daily Show again, he's not doing another version of it for Apple, he's doing something different, so get ready for that, whatever it may be. Um, that being said, I, I I have to talk a little bit about, to me, what what is so strange about this deal going down at Apple, which is the fact, as Leo alluded to, that he was originally set up at HBO, and HBO was going to be his kind of prestige follow-up to Comedy Central, uh, where he'd, he'd signed a four-year exclusive uh, or overall deal with HBO. Uh, I think back in 2004, no, 2015, he signed an overall deal, and that was when they announced uh, the animated series that Leo mentioned that, again, never got off the ground. Um, it was repeatedly delayed. Eventually, it was canceled in mid-2017, which was around the same time that AT&T took over uh, what is now Warner Media, and Richard Plepler left HBO. So Jon Stewart, after working with this guy for his, his first idea for a follow-up to The Daily Show in terms of a return to television, at least nightly television or, or semi-regular television, um, that didn't work out, but now he's back with that same person at Apple, where Plepler moved to after he was after he left, quote unquote, HBO uh, in early 2019. So it seems like this is, to me, a reminder of what HBO missed out on. Obviously, HBO is doing fine when it comes to cultural affairs programming, if you want to call it that because John Oliver is obviously doing great. Uh, they're signing new talent. They're bringing people in to, you know, kind of fortify and expand for HBO Max and their programming in general. Um, so it's not like they're hurting. But at the same time, you know, John Stewart was somebody who who always wanted to dream a little bigger and um, push himself into new arenas after he left The Daily Show. Uh, so HBO was the pinnacle for that and seeing them get passed over in favor of Apple now just seems like such a, uh, a 
an unfortunate sign of the times, I guess, like, or at least a, a transition away from what we used to think of as the slam dunk HBO programming or uh, prestige programming. So that's my reaction to John, John Stewart coming back. Can I just say, uh, uh, I just hope that they use the current affair thwang sound in the show. Oh God, this is so relevant to every single thing I want to say. First of all, if it was a stealth reboot of current affair, like I would be so into it. Um, that was my first thought. My second thought is, is how much I I disagree with Ben on fundamentally everything he just said. Um, because I think it's pretty, it feels to me really clear why this isn't happening at HBO. Um, obviously if things, if, if things sort of ceased with the, um, AT&T takeover and Plepler left, then it, it makes sense that, um, Stewart wouldn't continue playing an HBO sandbox anymore. So I think that makes sense. It's not necessarily as much a reflection on HBO. Also, there's no way that this series could live at HBO because it is basically just ripping off uh, Last Week Tonight. Um, Instead of doing... Hmm? I think they'd kill for a one-two punch of John Oliver and John Stewart right now. And again, like to your point, it's not that this is is a Uh, like a misunderstanding on someone's part it's that hbo had a huge evacuation of talent uh in in terms of executives and people who had good relationships with people behind the scenes and now their programming has shifted course to this you know whatever hbo max is going to become um so the idea that they had john stewart's return and lost it to apple is a sign of the times like that's the thing to me that's like oh boy i can't believe this has happened this is another signifier that hbo may not be the entity that it once was and i'm looking at it from the other side which is maybe john stewart is not the entity that he once was um it's as we've said he's been relatively low profile especially on tv since he uh retired in 2015 um the world has changed. I don't know if you guys have heard this. The world has changed a lot in the last five years. The world has changed a lot in the last 10 days, uh, which is something we have said every 10 days um, for the last forever, it feels like. Um, and listen, I love, I love Jon Stewart. He was so formative when I was growing up in uh, kind of um, figuring out my own place in, in my own um, political feelings and, and, and things like that. But he is just not the person I think of when I am looking forward to the future and being like, who can explain? Who, who's, who do I want to serve as a window into these complex issues that we are facing um, from day to day, from week to week, from month to month? Um, I don't want an established white guy doing that i I mean that has sort of defined my entire life and while i understand the value in having john stewart do that at this point going to apple just kind of fancy quibby at this point like the nothing nothing resonates there ted lasso's great i agree i agree with libby at some point at some point it's like people are going there for the paycheck but what they're doing there, the work that they are doing there is not penetrating. So while I love Jon Stewart, I love 
Apple, insofar as much as you can love a multimedia conglomerate, I just, it feels a lot like trying to be HBO in 2015. I, I want to talk about the other, the other, the other point that you brought up, which is John Stewart's sort of relevancy in our current times, and whether I don't know if Apple TV Plus is the location of this, but I do think there is a hunger from the populace, especially people in their 30s, 40s who grew up watching The Daily Show, which I know there was all that bullshit that was like more people get news from The Daily Show than they get from news. Where like he kind of for a moment there was like our generation's Dan Rather or Tom oh, Brokaw. Yeah. And I think there is a comfort with having John Stewart be the person who tells you how it is, whether or not he should be the one. I do think there's just a natural inclination for us to want there to be someone like that because our generation doesn't really have someone like that. Uh, yes, we do. And her name is Rachel Maddow. But <laughs> setting that aside, uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I would have said that. Like, like I, I really believe something has changed and broken profoundly in me. Like, I just don't want things explained to me by Jon Stewart anymore. Um, I've mostly stopped watching uh, Last Week Tonight because I don't want things explained to me by John Oliver anymore. Um, this is obviously a very, a very uh, kind of cottage view. Like, that, that's, that's, just, that's just my individual view. But I think of Jon Stewart's latest directorial effort. Irresistible. Uh, which, Irresistible, uh, starring Rose Byrne and uh, Steve Carell, and it was about politics and satire. And apparently, the cast had a great job; did had a had a great time filming it, but it was bad. And it felt like a relic from a time that doesn't necessarily exist anymore. David Ehrlich of IndieWire gave the film a C, and although praising Byrne's performance, wrote. A Capra-esque moral comedy that unfolds with all the subtlety of skywriting and none of the same panache. Irresistible is a perverse bid for clarity that feels like it was left behind like a relic from some long-distance past. 2012. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it wanted in the loop. What year was in the loop? I think it's 2009? Uh, 2009 feels right. 2009. If you said 2009, you're right. Moving on from something that Libby's not on board with and maybe something Ben's not on board with. Ben, why can't you tell us about The Undoing? Ben, as you mentioned, uh, you've given two Ds this year. One for Netflix's Hoops. Hoops. Which does not have does not have an exclamation point, but I can't help but say it that way. Yeah, it's and definitely in all caps, right? Like in your head, like it's yeah, It like, has to be. Hoops. Has to be. Hoops. It's shouting. Twins. Rob Riggle's in it, so it's shouting. <laughs> Twins! <laughs> so Ben, what can you tell us? about the undoing. Right, to uh, to complete the transition that Leo started, I think 22 minutes ago, um, if Libby is not fully on board with the idea of Jon Stewart returning to TV sight unseen, uh, then I am completely not on board having watched five of the six episodes of HBO's new Sunday night drama, The Undoing. Um, this series reunites uh, the two pivotal forces behind HBO's uh, 2017 hit, Big Little Lies. And that's a guess. 
Uh, but David E. Kelly and Nicole Wait, 2017 hit, 2018 miss? Is that how you would, how would you categorize it? <laughs> or 2019 no, miss? No comment. Um, but they're back. They're telling another story of uh, affluent white people uh, who get in a little bit of trouble. That trouble involves murder, of course. And you end up in a courtroom because it's David E. Kelly. Where else could the story possibly go? Um, I am somewhat aghast by the earlier reaction to HBO's The Undoing, not exactly including the early ratings report, which were very high. Uh, It matched the season finale for Lovecraft Country. Uh, It had something like 1.5 million viewers uh, across platforms uh, over its first weekend, uh, which is very, very good. And I understand that people would be curious about this show, uh, not only because of, you know, the perceived big little lies of it all, can they recapture the magic, uh, but because we're in the middle of uh, Hugh Grant Renaissance, or as Steve Green uh, coined it, uh, the Art Hugo movement, uh, which I I think is just touche, Stephen. Uh, Well done, as always. Well, should we move on to what something you enjoyed, Ben? On a different streamer that we haven't yet talked about today? Great. Yes. Let's move on. Uh, Let's talk about Netflix's The Queen's Gambit. That was... Was that a bad read? Bad bad read? Want to take another another (laughs) take? The Queen's! Just just play with it. All right. Let's see what was... Let's let's talk about Netflix, The Queen's Gambit. There we go. All right. Ben, can can you tell us about the show? I won't say the name again. Uh, The Queen's Gambit, a new Netflix limited series from Scott Frank, uh, seven episodes long. Scott Frank previously did the Emmy Award winning limited series Godless. Um, As I wrote about in the review, I think it's very interesting that Scott Frank's two limited series are in genres that a lot of people consider like just toast, like bygone era people don't want to watch this they will never succeed and he has been like no no no, fuck that i can do them well and i'm going to get ratings out of them and so far people are watching the queen's gambit according to netflix's self-reported top 10 is this genre is the genre chess is that what the genre genre is is absolutely chess (laughs) okay that is the just wanted to make sure that's what the genre was full-on no joke genre of the queen's gambit it stars Anya taylor joy she is a chess prodigy uh the i mean there is a chess board i would say in 40 to 60 percent of the shots i'd say so like i mean there is a lot of chess this is this is absolutely not just using chess as a metaphor this is literally like focusing on the tournaments and challenges and one-on-one duels and partnerships and strategies of the game of chess uh which again like they've done in movies before but i couldn't even come up with one after searching that made a huge enough dent in the culture to be memorable um wow and what, wow. Am I forgetting? what did i do finding what is it? seeking bobby fisher yeah seeking Ser- bobby searching fisher. for searching bobby, bobby fisher Bo- searching for searching? Bobby, fisher. bobby fisher it's very good it has bill camp uh bill camp is always great we should always be watching bill camp but it's beyond a great acting piece there's a lot that goes into this um very much a coming-of-age story uh, and uh, a kind of strong argument for finding your own family, which I always tend to enjoy. Like uh, instead of you know just being loyal and and hung up on the people who you're born into, uh, but in, instead you're meant to go out into the world and find the people who 
resonate with you and connect with you and really truly care about you. And this very slowly kind of puts that into into place while giving ample character development to everyone involved. Um, it really is just a highly enjoyable series for, again, a show that is <laughs> very Chess. much about watching people move little wooden pieces very slowly across a board. Um, so bravo to everyone involved. It's great. And again, like if we're going to bring it back to the undoing, the undoing should have everything going for it. It's like flashy murder, big, huge proven stars, HBO, Suzanne beer directed it. Like everything they could throw at it, they threw at it. And it's the most boring thing you can possibly imagine. The queen's gamut has everything working against it. And it's absolutely entertaining and wonderful. And you should watch it. So, a show about chess with Bill camp. Show about chess with Bill camp. Joker's Bill camp. No. Oh, come no, on. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Leftovers Leo. Bill Camp. Correct. The Outsiders Bill Camp. Correct. Sure. If you have to, sure. Oh, I'm so excited. No, like, so we make a lot of jokes here, but like, legitimately, the next two shows on my watch list are Ted Lasso and Queen's Gambit. Like, uh, I'm saving these. These are in my, these are. Are you my, saving them for a specific sure date? Fire thing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Just in case? Maybe. I maybe can't uh, maybe wait a, to receive these maybe a particular case, in, week because uh, yeah. nothing's going to end of fire, day. In case uh, of fire break glass, in case yeah. of garbage fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in case of dumpster fire. Ted Lasso will work well as a balm or a jubilant celebration. So whatever you need it for, Ted Lasso is there. All right, guys. Well, Halloween is this upcoming Saturday. And... Yeah. We thought it'd be apt to, to talk about some of our favorite uh, scary shows. And I think this sort of leads... I want to start with this question. And it, it sort of links to what you were saying about The Undoing, Ben. Is that are limited series inherently better at telling scary stories? I understand that Hannibal's sort of your pick, Libby. But is the idea of stretching something... Like, is, is something that's scary easier, better said in a short amount of time than a long amount of time. You're up you're opening up a Pandora's box, my friend. I don't know if you know what you've done. I'd like I'd like you've to open this Pandora's box me, up. You've basically just been like, Ben, do you think of Twin Peaks as a oh, limited series? On. An ongoing series? Or a film? To which a I A lot say, of people say that season three is series, a film. So you are wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. Okay. They're objectively wrong. The people I mean, who say it's a limited fair, series are also kind of wrong. And I would make the I would make the argument that Hannibal works because it, it's it's character based, and so you're you can you can hang with those people. Where like it's there's not a, a uh, there's not a, a, a central sort of like mystery that you need to get solved. Like you're happy to spend time with these characters over the course of however many seasons, potentially four. Who knows? Um. um yeah, no, I, I understand that. I'm definitely somebody who doesn't seek these kind of things out either. And again, as I've mentioned before, when we talk about Hannibal, like that was something that to me was very scary every hour, every week, every time I watched it to the point where I had nightmares. And I feel like that's the thing that's challenging when it comes to episodic horror in general, whether you're talking about a limited series or an ongoing series. I think that what a lot of people, what a lot of horror fans in particular are looking for when they tune into that sort of inf that sort of entertainment is kind of a visceral rush, something that will really, you know, kind of hit them in a way where either they're very scared 
or um, you know, like kind of admiring the structure of something or the gore or the body horror or whatever elements of the genre that are like built into that week's episode. Um, and when you're watching a movie, you know, you're getting a quick dose of that. You're getting an hour and a half, a two-hour experience, and they can kind of throw a whole story at you at once. Whereas TV, as we've seen with stuff like The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, sometimes they stretch that out to a point where each installment doesn't deliver the same feeling. Like it can really kind of be more of an up and down experience where, you know, one episode can be very, very tender. One episode could be slower. One episode could be faster. Um, and if there is a kind of inconsistency in the tone or the delivery or whatever it is, then perhaps that makes it harder to, to sustain over a longer period of time. Um, but again, I'm not, I'm far from an expert on, on this particular thing because I am a scaredy cat and I get scared all the time and I don't like it. But Leo, I mean, I think your, I think your original question for Ben was, is, is really interesting. It's so hard to figure out what, um, I think it's really hard for creators to modify their story for the right venue. And I, I do think that things like, um, I, I do think that limited series, specifically like anthology series, give a better opportunity to sort of cultivate that overarching uh, uh, consistency in the stories you want to tell while also um, delving into different things. Like I am not an American horror story fan, but I do think that when you sit down to a season of American horror story, you know kind of what you're gonna get and you know kind of that you're gonna be into it while also getting a brand new um, adventure, if you will. I prefer the, the limited series. I think it's a very rare show that can maintain that level of of horror from episode to episode um but it, without without a, a well-defined end point um the one thing about hannibal is it does feel like it works very much like a series of limited series because they were always like working to a very specific end point within every season i think um which which gave them a, a much more self-contained feel than, than you might find on, like, The Strain or, I don't know, True Blood. But I haven't really watched enough True Blood to know. Um, Leo. True Blood. As our resident True Blood expert, <laughs> how did that work in the horror genre? Oh, True Blood is like camp horror, but uh, n none of it is ever really scary, if that's what you're looking for. But it is fun. Like, if you if you buy in and I, I, I did want to I did want to talk about two shows, the two trues, which I would if I were going to be doing <laughs> a marathon, uh, I would watch True Detective season one, which is somewhat spooky, but not really. Um, uh, and True Blood. Neither is scary, really, on its face, but True Blood deals with supernatural in a very fun and campy way. Uh, and no, it does not have any sort of limited series vibes like it is quote-unquote one story throughout we never really leave uh bill and uh bill suki um they are they wow. are the they are the through line it, it's a real jim pam supernatural jim pam but no i i do think that this month right now 
when you're looking for something to be in the mood for spooky season, as uh, so many news anchors have called it. Um, and I'm going to put in the headline. You need, you need that to be delivered to you in a, in a very specific way. I think if you are looking for um, a Halloween show, a Halloween series, a Halloween movie, and you end up with a true detective, then you're going to have a negative feeling about the show because it wasn't what you hoped it would be. That's fair. Um, I think when people release shows and movies in Halloween, hoping to capitalize off that, uh, knowing that that's not exactly the genre that they're playing into, maybe they'll make their money. Uh, but they're going to lose people in the long run because you're not being honest to the story being told. And I do think that those impressions are important to keep track of, uh, which is why my Halloween recommendation is and always will be Twin Peaks The Return. Everybody kick back and enjoy some David Lynch. He knows exactly what he's doing, and it's great. Do I have to watch Twin Peaks 1 and 2 and Fire Walk With Me before starting The Return? No. No? Can I just skip to not watching it whatsoever? You could skip to doing that, but then you'd be depriving yourself of some of the best television made in the last 10 years. So, Libby, Libby, you're recommending Hannibal. And what was the show you recommended last year? Hannibal. No, you recommended a different show last year. (laughs) Hannibal? No. I think it was was Hannibal. The one about the... You had a tweet about the worms that came alive after they were uh, 70,000 years old. Oh. Fortitude. Fortitude. Yeah. I'll Kevin's not watch Fortitude, Fortitude and you cannot watch Twin Peaks. All right. So Libby Listen, is recommending those Hannibal. Those are selling two completely different things. Fortitude is just pure about shittery and a touch of the tooch. Like, a touch like, of the tooch. I don't know what more. You could easily describe Twin Peaks as pure bat shittery. I don't think you could say a touch of the tooch, though. Man, I really got to have any relevance. I really got to expand my spooky season show uh, repertoire. Libby's got Hannibal twice on her on her Hannibal, Hannibal, and Fortitude, (laughs) and then uh, Ben's got Twin Peaks: The Return. Do you have a second? What's your What's your backup if you can't access Twin Peaks: The Return? I mean, honestly, I would go back and watch X-Files episodes. Um, I would purposefully seek out. (laughs) I think I have that book on the shelf back here. Um, But I would purposefully try to seek out the viewer discretion warnings and maybe even the teasers that Fox made that really hyped up how scary that week's episode of X-Files was going to be because seeing those really set the mood in such a great way where you're just like, what the fuck are they going to show me? They're not allowed to show that on TV. This is crazy. Like that kind of feeling I really miss. Uh, I haven't had that in a long time. Um, so that would probably be my number two. Ben really misses the feeling of being 15. Um, yes. <laughs> touche. If we're going down that road. Who doesn't? If we're going to that down. I mean, again, nostalgia is the devil, but uh, I play into it like we all do. <laughs> if that's the road we're going down, then the spookiest thing I could think of watching is old 2020 episodes. Because boy, boy, did those promos <laughs> frighten the living shit out of me. I was like, they're doing what on college campuses? Baby. <laughs> poor, poor, poor baby. So, yeah, shout out for Unsolved Mysteries. Um, definitely the show that sparked the most nightmares in me as a child. Um, I will also throw the first season of Terror on there. Not that there's anything wrong with the second season. I just didn't finish it. And the first season is directly based on the book, um, which was a great horror book. Just to be, just to be clear, just to get everything, everything finalized. Libby's going Hannibal, 
Hannibal, Fortitude. Ben's going Twin Peaks to Return and then random X-Files episodes. And I'm saying, I'm saying the bad thing. I'm saying watch True Detective (laughs) season one, True Blood, and old 2020 episodes. (laughs) True, true 2020. I will say that, like, Leo and I, like, there's a, actually all three of us, there's such a discrepancy in what we're recommending because Libby is actually providing, like, a service in which, one, like, a lot of people have still overlooked Hannibal, so, like, rediscovering that is great. Good recommendation. Nobody knows what the fuck Fortitude is, so, like, everybody will, like, should be able to seek that out and watch it. Yeah. Whereas I'm over here being like, hey, you know those, the two shows that everybody talks about when they talk about horror on TV? I'm going to say those two shows again. You're welcome. Go do it. Well, Leo fucking has 2020 coming up. Like, Old just, episodes of so 2020. Like, Old. Right. Old episodes. Yeah, figure out what's happening. Right. I just remember the one, this one where they went undercover at a fraternity where they were where they're pinning things to people's bodies and it hurt. Like it was like that's painful. I don't want that to happen to me. Scared me away from the Greek life. <laughs> Never saw a saw, did, did you, Leo? <laughs> Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video of Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite John Stewart movies are Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Half-Baked, and Big Daddy. Millions of Screens' John Stewart movie endorsement is Death to Smoochie. I'm fine with all those. I wish John Stewart was a better actor. The only one that was He's on so the fence handsome. was the faculty. I thought about putting the faculty in, but uh, I mean, Death to Smoochie is elite, so I had to make sure that was the endorsement. Yeah, those other those other three movies, he's in them so little. Yeah, we, we he's arguably arguably the weakest part of Big Daddy. <laughs> and that's saying a lot. And I think about that an uncomfortable amount of time. Big Daddy? That's saying a lot because Cole and Dylan Sprouse are not great either as the kid. They aren't. John Stewart's performance in Big Daddy, I think about a a disproportionate amount. Um, You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review. Maybe we'll read it. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. Happy Halloween. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>